Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Oi, the boys on Footy Prime on occasion are known to use vulgarities and frankly appalling language. And sometimes tales are quite adult in nature. So keep the volume down if there are kiddies around. And thank you for listening. You're listening to Footy Prime News and Such. Your one-stop destination for footy news and such. Footy Prime, your almost daily footy fix. The weekend is here, or nearly. And in four years' time, the World Cup will be here in this country. How amazing is that? Welcome Ooh. to Footy Prime. I'm Brennan Dunlop. Happy to be joined, as always, by our two former Canadian international superstars, Craig Forrest and Jamie <laughs> Brennan. Well, you don't believe that, Craig? Well, superstars, it might be a stretch. <laughs> but thank for you, you. For you, stretchy arms, or was that a shot at Jimmy? <laughs> well, well, yeah, well, that's a good point. Yeah. Well, how do you guys feel today? How, how are you excited that the that we can now change the term? It's coming home because it has new meaning. It's it is coming home to our home. It's unbelievable. You know, it it, it is actually unbelievable when you think about you know where you know where we started. You know, youth soccer players and even coming through the national system and when we played, even you know, talking about could could we ever win a World Cup bid or be part of a World Cup? Not a chance. And then we yeah. started naming stadiums and, oh, yeah, where are we going to play? You know, going to play at Varsity, going to play at Centennial Park. Like, <laughs> it's embarrassing, right? Like, and and then here we are in a situation where we've got, uh, you know, it's unfortunate for Edmonton, but uh, just the same, uh, Vancouver and Toronto. And, you know, to be able to host as many games as we are, it's like having multiple Super Bowls, you know, in our country, which is just absolutely fantastic. Anything to add there, Jimmy? No, I agree with him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen, I'm, you know, we've, we've been talking an awful lot about this and uh, never in all our years did we think that we, this was going to happen, that we'd be hosting a World Cup. And it is a dream come true. Um, and this is only going to create a bigger demand uh, for our sport in this country. Um, and hopefully off of the back of this, you know, our domestic leagues continue to grow and get better and stronger. And mm-hmm. we continue to get, develop more players and get more people involved in the game at the grassroots level. I think we have an awful long way to go. Um, but my, you know, my bet is, uh, you know, when we go to 26, 30, 34, um, I think in 2034, this country, the landscape and football is going to be significantly different. 
because mm-hmm. I see us qualifying for the World Cup every time now. So I think that momentum and everything else will will, will build because at the moment I still think we uh, I can't consider us a soccer nation at this moment, but we're getting there. Hmm. Interesting. Well, we'll get into all that. To Jimmy's point about uh, you know getting more people involved with a beautiful game, it is a Friday show when we like to get people involved. We like to speak to a writer or a scribe or someone smarter than us to some extent. So today, very happy to bring on Alexander Gongu Ruzek from uh, One Soccer, the Canadian Premier League, and Between the Sticks. Alex, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be joined uh, with you fine gentlemen on this Friday. I mean, <laughs> this is uh, lots of vast knowledge and a uh, pretty good uh, group of people to talk Canadian soccer with. So I'm, uh, I'm pleased to be amongst this group. You know, you know he was lying there when he said these fine people. <laughs> fine gentlemen. What? <laughs> fine gentlemen. That's yeah, a lie. Distinguished. Who did you think you were on with, Alex? Who, who did the producer say you were going to chat with today instead of us? I don't know. I got I got some calls about five star hotels and. <laughs> yeah, uh, I love your work, Alex. Really do like what you put out, buddy. Your content and your your yeah. analyzing of uh, stuff is absolutely top drawer. Thanks. Very good. Appreciate that. Yeah, man. Appreciate we've wanted that. to talk to you for a while. It's been great to see your work and now to see more of it on One Soccer and that. You are based in Vancouver, so thank you for joining us. Uh, in what, what is earlier in the morning for you? And it's uh, is that sun that I see peeking through there? It's sunny in Vancouver. I didn't think that happened. Me neither. I kind of forgot what it, it felt like. But uh, I, I think the the conclusion I've come to is that, you know, maybe the, the World Cup gods blessed something on Vancouver. Finally, the announcement, no coincidence. It was rainy all day yesterday. As soon as it hit two o'clock and the announcement happened, it got sunny. So maybe that was the, the ominous sign that uh, that Vancouver needed. Mm. <laughs> Perfect. But uh, there, there is maybe one soccer god, like actually, that you can uh, you can label and you can see, you can shake hands with if you're lucky. I think that's Victor Montagliani, because four months ago, the prospect of World Cup games being held in Vancouver in 2026 wasn't even on the table. No, that's what's biggest <laughs> the miracle about all this. You look at just the timeline of how four years ago they pulled out, and it just kind of felt like okay it's over you you hear rumblings like oh they want to get back in it's like yeah, of course they want to get back in it's too late when is fifa ever going to reverse a decision like this and then i guess you know it's 2020 it's 2021 it's 2022 you're like okay no chance you hear still more rumblings you're like, okay why are they wasting their time with this it feels like it's it's over and then all of a sudden everything just kind of comes together you hear fifa is talking to vancouver vancouver's talking to fifa it feels a little more real uh they come together they, they, you know, come to some sort of agreement. And then all of a sudden it was just wake up. I think it was April 16th. Uh, I just remember the date because I was researching yesterday. All of a sudden Vancouver's back in. And then not only that, they go from maybe they get two or three games to report suggesting as high as six games, more than Toronto, obviously Edmonton no longer in the running. That's one heck of a comeback really is how I'd describe it. Not one I'd expected, but Mm-hmm. <laughs> shows how quickly things can change in this sport. Yeah, I didn't either, Alex. And and I have to think that Victor Montaliani played a big part of that as well. I know he was pushing the, pushing the provincial government, uh, the government in, in Vancouver, uh, to get in due to the bid. Uh, he was disappointed that they didn't get it initially. Um, and you're right. I think I was I was surprised myself. I thought it was too late. They left it too late in the game and it wasn't going to happen. So I think what helps them, um, Vancouver, BC Place, is about the closest we have to to a turnkey stadium in Canada. 
uh, other than the grass situation, but they've got that solved. It won't be a dead system. It'll be an actual live system. So uh, they guarantee that will hold up for the amount of games that they have. So all in all, logistically, geographically, Vancouver's in a great spot, you know, with like a, like Seattle, San Fran, Los Angeles also um, come into play. And I know FIFA look at that as well. I think it's the the best right now in terms of the World Cup cities. It's one that you look in terms of infrastructure now. I say it's the best, I think, in terms of because you look at what what the cities offer. I mean, Edmonton, great venue. It's old. It needs a lot of work. It needs the grass. It's a bit outside of downtown having visited for the November games. Like that was a bit of an annoyance. You look at Toronto, you know, great stadium, just small. It's, you know, you, you look back to how the fact it was always a temporary stadium in the first place and how tough it is to build renovations, location a bit awkward. You look at Montreal, maybe Montreal has potential in terms of where the, the big O is located. But as we know, that thing's just a rickety dust heap. It needs a lot of work as well. BC Place doesn't need that work. It's in a great location. The city has hosted these world-class events before. It's got great transportation. Uh, everything about it's, you know, great. It's just really like you mentioned the grass situation, which is a little easier to stomach than, say, looking at Edmonton, you need to heavily re, you know renovate the structure you look at toronto you need to build the structure so it mm-hmm. even is, gets big enough for a world cup you look at montreal it, it does make sense in terms of it being the best city so maybe that's kind of why things happen i don't think if this was montreal coming back in it wouldn't have worked because they would have been like well you need to fix a lot of things you need a lot uh you know to, to, to ask whereas vancouver it was already always kind of ready for an event like this but since they pulled out it was kind of a, an afterthought and i think it, it shows based on how things have gone from zero to to supposedly six so quickly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah what do you boys make about those rumors that vancouver would host six games uh, obviously there's we knew that there would be 10 games in canada we thought that that would be spread over three cities um one american city well you can pick which one benefited there's 11 us host cities now for for these games which is one more than we'd expect it but if they don't split it down the middle five and five jimmy that seems strange especially for toronto doesn't it it does you'd think so um you know i'd be disappointed obviously living here in toronto and uh just how multicultural and diverse this city is as well and um you know it'd be disappointing if we if we didn't split it and go five and five um and and lose a match i think it would upset a lot of people here cool I don't. I don't think it has anything to do with you know, uh, you know Toronto over Vancouver. I think it comes down to just logistically and the groups where they're situated. They want to keep the travel to a minimum, mm-hmm. um, and that comes into play. Um, but I don't think uh, it has anything to do with you know you know Vancouver and Toronto. So I, I could care less who has four, who has six, who has, if they have five or five. Really, could be quite honest with you. <laughs> I think it's just all great. I care. Yeah, look at this guy playing on the What do you mean you care? You won to the World Cup in the U.S. every four years. Yeah, I did, actually. Yeah. And I got some positive feedback from that, so have that. Oh, yeah. People say, great idea. Great idea. Yeah, Yeah. how many many of them had Kroenke in their last name or anyone that's uh, on the bill there to make billions because they own the stadiums? Any of those feedback emails, Jimmy? No, nothing from them yet. No, not from them yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Europe doesn't have enough stadiums to, you know, hold multiple country World Cups, do they, Jimmy? No, you might as well host what five of them together, make it work. Yeah, yeah <laughs> or it. just do one. Yeah, plain you, simple. If you missed our last show, Alex, or for uh, any listeners who didn't listen on Wednesday, Jimmy had this great idea that for future World Cups, every World Cup from uh, here on out after this one should just be held in the United States. To uh, limit like the, the gold the, cup, basically, <laughs> yeah, like the gold cup, 
Except yeah. it'd be a little different when it's Guadalupe turning up in Cincinnati. Uh, not Guadalupe turning up in, in Cincinnati. But I saw the point, Jimmy. I understood that, but Makes I like sense. this traveling roadshow. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm happy to – every 20 years. The States should host the World Cup every 20 years. And from now on, they can't ever again host it solo. It has to be shared. Mm. They have to share it. One thing we do know, guys, I mean, it's, it's getting almost to a point where it's impossible for one country to host it other than a few. There's very, very few that can host it on their own. And it's so big. And I think 2026 is the first time that FIFA actually take over the event, the Federation and the association, the Canadian Soccer Association, U.S. and Mexico have nothing to do with it. Peter Montopoli was Canadian Soccer Association employee. He jumps over to FIFA. Canada's committee. Yeah, there will be one in Mexico. There'll be one in the United States as well. So they'll look after all that. But they're actually employed by FIFA now. And when that makes yeah. sense, it's such a massive event. You can't possibly uh, rely on a non-profit, you know, association mm-hmm. to be running an event this big. Yeah, 100%. I agree with you on that. Mm, that makes sense. Alex, you made a point about Vancouver that uh, stood out to me saying that you thought it was like the best host city uh, of the lot. Um, obviously, the stadium, you highlighted that point. But maybe w- what are some other things that uh, that make Vancouver such such a great host in your eyes? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I guess it helps having seen big events come through the city. Like the Olympics was, uh, you know, special to see what the what the Winter Olympics meant to Vancouver. Then the, the Women's World Cup, as well as the final how the city rallied around that i thought it was you know fantastic buzz and the city and i just think it's it's set up so well for you know it's it's a big multicultural city just the way the downtown is the stadium being downtown how it can kind of create a bit of a hub uh you know for for people to to rally around you look at just due to those uh, aforementioned events we got great transportation now from the airport etc uh hotels around the area and then you just talk about Vancouver itself. We know the beauty that it brings in terms of the beaches, the water, the the mountains. I think that'd be a fantastic backdrop for a World Cup. I mean, yeah. you're looking at cities you want to visit. You come to Vancouver, you're watching soccer games, but it's not just that. It's like, you know, you're going to the beach, you're going to join the city, or you're, you're mm. getting the food, you're going to the mountains. Yeah. There's a lot of cities. I mean, there, there's not a lot of cities that, that offer that. I mean, if we're looking at just off the top of my head, I'm thinking of a city like Boston and how they're using the, the, the new England revolution field. That's like an hour outside of Boston. Like that's not exactly going to be a sexy draw to go out in the middle of four is at Foxborough to go watch games. And you're just kind of stuck out in the middle of there. Whereas you come to Vancouver, you're, you're at the game. I don't know, Canada, say Ecuador at 7 PM and then 9 PM, the game's over. You just walk over to the beach or walk over to a pub. It's not, yeah. not stuck. Or drive down to Seattle and get on the I five and go, uh, go watch a game in Seattle. Yeah, exactly. And you've got that, that proximity, you've got all of those factors because of that. I think it, it kind of gives it an edge. And Seattle is a very similar setup to Vancouver. How you just described too. great stadium right downtown. And that, that city is incredible. I was there for that MLS cup final. The Toronto FC's lost there. And yeah. uh, the city had, had changed a lot in the since the, uh, I'd been there a yeah. few years before. Really cleaned yeah. up and gentrified downtown by that stadium district. You know, even historically, you know, look at Seattle and Vancouver, two fantastic football, soccer cities. You know, historically, mm-hmm. you know, go back to the Vancouver Whitecaps. And when I was a youth, you know, young 10, 11 year old, going down to the Kingdom and watching games against the Sounders, and you know, and chanting Whitecaps across the stadium, and just but you know, so both cities are really have a rich history. And Seattle has always been amazing. Yeah. And when they came into Major League Soccer, they was an absolute slam yeah. dunk. 
Well, don't don't forget about Portland as well. That whole area up there with Vancouver, Portland, Seattle—they're they're diehard football fans. They love mm-hmm. the game. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, I mean, to not see there's a few cities that aren't hosting, which I think feels weird. If I'm an outsider, if I'm just a Portuguese guy, and to see a World Cup hosted in North America and not see Montreal, Chicago, Vegas hosting, um, I think that's you know, in in hindsight, looking at it now, that feels a little weird. I understand for all of them. I mean, I, Vegas wouldn't have even been in the picture uh, four years ago when they'd announced mm-hmm. this, right? They didn't have that NFL stadium or had, you know, hadn't put shovels in the ground at least by that point. And I understand why for Montreal, you know, it didn't, it didn't work. Um, but as a Canadian, I'm disappointed. I, I think Montreal is an amazing part of this country that I would have loved the world to see. Wonger, I know uh, you're incredibly biased on that as well for good reason. <laughs> um, so play, yes, it. I am. play it, McGill. Yeah, play in McGill. Could you imagine? <laughs> imagine that would be fun. The, just the idea of them. Uh, um, imagine the the city hall conversations about how to divide the money, to pour the money into into saving the Big O or revamping the Big O. Like no one wanted to have that conversation. That's why they didn't even put a formal bid in. That stadium has been a nightmare since 1972. Oh. Never finished. Mm-hmm. Never worked properly. No, wild. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> terrible. Hey, Alex, I got to ask you, um, what are your thoughts on the this team at the moment? Uh, what they went through over the last couple weeks? Uh, did you get any feel in Vancouver that there was a, you know, a bit of tension? Uh, were the fans really, really disappointed? Were they still sort of backing the team, or is that kind of split a little bit? Yeah, I feel like it's very mixed in the sense that I think most diehard fans they understand the realities of what's going on. I mean, we've kind of mentioned, I mean, everything that happened this week isn't anything new. Say it's not the first time that we've seen, you know, the players call out the CSA or the, you know, there be any sort of disagreements with the CSA It's happened in, in 2019 privately. It happened, you know, in 2009 publicly, there are several other instances where it's happened. So I think for anyone who's been following the sport, following the program, they, they, they know the fractures, the, the growth that still needs to be done, uh, et cetera. I think it really hurt the casuals 100% because for them, they come in, most of them during this World Cup qualifying round, understandably so. You see, you hear all this Alfonso Davies, you hear that they they're, might, might actually go to a World Cup. It's, you know, it's all on TV. You get these millions of views. You start following them, you think everything's rosy, you think everything's great, they're going to go Qatar, yay. So when you see something like this, yes, it's it's disappointing for a casual fan who might not uh, know what's going on. And I think that's kind of reflected, say, just for the Curacao game, for example, I was only 17,000 fans. That's a lot of diehard fans who are there, but I don't think, if you read online, many of the casual fans were were hurt. They were annoyed. They didn't necessarily understand what was going on. And I think if you look, that was the biggest split in the sense that if you're involved in this, you know, say discussion, be it if you're a hardcore fan, if you're media, if you're the players, you kind of uh, have seen these fractures and see why these sort of discussions and negotiations are important and, you know, what the player's view is on it, what the the federation's view is on it. But I understand 100% the, the casual fans how they might feel alienated by that. And because of that, it, it made for such a weird mood. I think Vancouver, when these games were, were first announced, we saw how quickly the tickets for that, that you know now canceled Iran game went. People were excited to have the national team back. It was mm-hmm. a big deal. Like, okay, they're in a World Cup now. 
then basically by the end of it, it was, you could feel the, the, the anger, the, the apathy, the resentment a bit. And that's kind of disappointing because Vancouver always loves the men's national team. They've always shown up well for it, but just felt like these, the, the events of these last few weeks uh, really caused a split, a division. That's a good way to put it, Craig. Yeah. I think that, you know, the neutral fan, I think we are in a, you know, they've, they've been, they witnessed many sports and labor disputes and rich sportsmen battling for more money and all this sort of stuff. And it just gets, it gives them a bad taste. It really does for the neutral sports fan. And uh, that's disappointing. And uh, that's why I really thought that they should have probably played the game. However, they, they certainly have uh, ruffled some feathers in the CSA because uh, they, they are in, in damage control right now and trying to figure it out and, and trying to make some forward steps, which is great. So I'm not sure that would have happened, Alex, if they didn't cancel the game. I don't know what you think about that. Well, that's it. With the the, the players, I 100% back what they did, their idea. I mean, it's effective because it's like you're, you want to send a message. <laughs> There's no better way to send that message than canceling the game. On, on the other hand, I also 100% sympathize with fans in the sense that you know, it is 2022. Could the players have gone on social media and at least put out some sort of statement or some sort of message earlier? A hundred percent. You see it all the time. It's an effective way to go about things. You're telling me Alfonso Davies and 3 million Instagram followers isn't a way to, to reach a market or some of the other players. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's 2022. So I get the fans point, but in terms of sending a message, the message was certainly sent because it's, again, it's not often you see a, a game canceled. Uh, in, in that regard so obviously it, it, they felt it had to be done and you know now we'll see it, you know long term because I think at the end of the day long term everyone wants the same things I think you know we all want a healthy sport in this country we want both national teams to be compensated fairly for you know we want them to succeed at both of their tournaments we want two good domestic leagues or one together we want men's and women's players playing professionally we want all these great things but you know, sometimes you need kind of a trigger to kind of get, get the wheels going. And maybe the, you know, last year, the women's uh, Olympic gold medal kind of got the wheels turning slowly. And now the men's make the world cup things are getting faster and faster. It's like they mentioned, you got to make sure that growth keeps up because all of a sudden three years ago, four years ago, you're 130th ranked association sport is there wasn't a domestic league in your country. The sport is an afterthought. You just have your three MLS teams. All of a sudden, you're starting to put all these these infrastructures together. You've got to make sure that you're financially set up, that you're as an organization set up. And I think maybe this uh, this strike was kind of the the trigger that all the parties needed to come together because we saw what it did. I mean, we saw how it opened up the negotiations between the men's and women's side, how it opened up negotiations between the players and the federation. So now now everything's kind of set into place. It's just about finding a solution, and hopefully, it's one that uh, benefits everyone. Yeah, I think you're totally right there, Alex. And when, you know, it first came out and people jumped all over the money and obviously Bontis came out saying, look at the numbers they're asking for. This is untenable. This wasn't about the pay raise. That was just one thing. These players were looking for a revolution for, for the whole setup, not just, you know, a pay rise for, for this World Cup bonus money. So obviously something that's been a long time coming. And, uh, you know, there's several things there that should have been addressed a long time ago. But I agree with you that, I think this is the trigger to finally get that going. So that in itself is exciting. We'll finally see some of this change. And uh, and I think there'll be plenty of it. You were at that Curacao match. Um, a lot's been made about the fans. I think it's quite unfair to uh, Vancouver, um, considering all that had happened for those two weeks. But what was that, the, the vibe like in general there? They obviously did the business on the field, but what was it like covering that match? Yeah, it was a bit of a, a weird one because... 
again, it was it was a good. To be fair, I think considering the circumstances, it was a good crowd. The the, the whole seventeen thousand last minute, I thought they were louder. I think in terms of the the tickets itself, it was a good lesson. Personally, mm-hmm. I think for Canada soccer, just because you qualified for a World Cup doesn't mean you can price fans out at sixty dollars a ticket for Curacao on a Thursday night. That's just that's just not realistic. And I think. You know, yes, you went however many the dollars the tickets were for J- Jamaica at BMO Field, but it's one thing to qualify for a World Cup for the first time in 36 years. It's another thing just to play a routine Nations League uh, yeah. game against an opponent that, I mean, I love what Curacao has been doing, and I think they're super underrated. I don't think, you know, average Jimmy or, or Joe from down the street are 100% aware of what's going on with Curacao. Uh, so I think because of that, it was a bit unfortunate because it felt like, that atmosphere was kind of hanging over. You could see the discussions on Twitter. You could see the discussions like, oh, what's up with this crowd? But in terms of itself, once the game kicked off, the players did their thing, the fans did their thing. It felt normal again. It, it really did feel normal again. It was just after everything that had gone on that week, all this you know, press conferences, negotiations, players not speaking to media, et cetera. Mm. It just felt nice to see them go out, do their business, do it in style, see Alfonso Davies back in a Canada shirt, score some nice goals, and just mm-hmm. kind of get that good vibe going again. So I think the, in terms of the – the oh, sorry. The, uh, the Curacao game, we knew – I mean, before the game even happened, it was the softest game as far as ticket sales go. Do you think, Alex, that has to do with a little bit, like, what is this Nations League? Like, do people understand it? I mean – we don't even quite grasp all of it, you know, and, and it is so new and there's so many different, it's so fragmented and what are they playing for now? And why is this carousel game important? And, you know, it's very confusing. Mm-hmm. I, I think so. I think that's fair. It, 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 that's the thing with the international soccer market right now. I, I, to, to a casual, it's, it's, you know, you hear all these things like friendlies and nations leagues. It's, it is a bit confusing to understand, like even the, I'm sure some people are wondering why the heck are they playing in Iran or a Panama just cause like, is it, you know, that's the weird thing about, I guess, soccer supposed to an outsider, this whole idea. But I think, I don't think it had that much of an impact on ticket sales. I think people would grasp to the concept. They would warm to the concept. I think back to 2019, I think Canada, they got, I think it was 18 or 19,000 at BC place for French Guyana and a nation's league qualifier. So something that meant even less, but just because tickets were were cheap. So for me, that was the bigger sticking point, I think, than opponent, than anything. It was just the ticket prices. Like, you, you, again, you can't do $60 unless, you know, Lionel Messi is coming through the building or something like Portugal or, you know, even a, a top team like an Ecuador is coming through the building. You can't be charging $60. And I think that was the bigger reason, less uh, nations. Because I think people, the Vancouver crowd is a smart soccer crowd. They're always there for the moments. They understand, like, when it's playoffs, when the white caps are in a big push, they'll show up, but it's mm-hmm. more those, those small games. It's more those Wednesday nights that have always been a struggle. It's more those, uh, especially when it's $60, like it was for this game. That's a good point. And you, you labeled Vancouver there as a smart soccer crowd. And I think that, you know, Toronto is a very much an event city and you referenced the Jamaica prices, which I think were what the cheapest ticket was 120 bucks, maybe to, to get in. Uh, which for, you know, just to compare to TFC, I think you get in the South End for $20 still. So it, understanding that people would turn up because it's an event and Canada Soccer could, you know, um, turn some much needed gate revenue, they raise the prices there. But you, yeah, you got to take that hat off and, and look at the individual market and the setup. And just because they want to believe that the Nations League is important, um, it, it's going to take some time before the people do, right? 
that's it you got to be careful right because it's like <laughs> you can th- you can believe one thing but I, I think it was a good lesson for them in that sense that mm-hmm. y- y- Canada maybe if you know if we're, we're talking about Canada being a soccer country maybe if it's a soccer country they'll they'll play Granada and they'll get 50,000 but we're not quite there yet and I think this was a, a great reason and even then you look at soccer countries I always see it all the time I mean Portugal you'd, you'd know well Brendan I like don't they sell tickets for like ten twenty dollars like when they had that world cup qualifier back in march it was like twenty dollars a ticket like if portugal's doing that why should canada be pricing their fans out i don't get why canada and the u.s love to shoot themselves in the the foot that way it really feels unnecessary and you always hear reasons like in the u.s they love to do it so they can try to dissuade the, the opposing fans canada i guess it's more you know just revenue it's it, it, for for those reasons, it's no. It's I, I you, if you, teams in Europe, if Portugal, they have the players they have. If they're charging twenty dollars a ticket for a must-win World Cup qualifier, like they, sh- I think they're doing something right in that mm. case. One thing I do think is great that CONCACAF have canceled the Nations League for September, where Europe are still playing Nations League uh, matches in September. So that gives them that one opportunity before November to, uh, you know, get a feel and get a, a good profile team that can challenge them. Because this last window against Curacao and Honduras, unfortunately, you're not going to play in a monsoon in Qatar. That was a waste of time from that. Uh, and Curacao basically put 11 men behind the ball. That's not happening at the World Cup either. So, you know, you're not trying to break down Belgium on top of the box. Just, uh, let's face it. So from a standpoint of what they got out of those games, I'm not sure, Jimmy, whether you think that they got much out of that or it was more on the training pitch with John Herdman. Yeah, no, look, we we, we had this discussion. Um, at those two games, they got absolutely nothing. Uh, for me, there was no preparation that's going to prepare you for a Croatia, a Belgium, a Morocco, um, especially down in Honduras. It was a waste of time. For me, I felt the game shouldn't even been played. This should have been called off. I thought it was dangerous, especially mm-hmm. the way the players were sliding all over the place. And, there's just no, you know, there's no de- not enough dates in the, in the calendar though, Jimmy. Yeah. You, know, they, you look at the U.S. and the El Salvador the next night, same sort of thing, but they got no dates. They, they literally were saying, God, unless this, unless it's a swimming pool, we got to play it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it near enough was a swimming pool. <laughs> <laughs> the, the pictures from that El Salvador game yeah. were insane. Yeah, absolutely insane. Uh, Alex, let's finish on this, man. I saw you did a profile on the, the U20 team um, that's uh, that's heading down to uh, to qualify uh, for uh, the CONCACAF championship there. Um, what, what do you think of this U20 team? Craig mentioned uh, it in this show and it said a few times, you know, after this World Cup now, Canada will never again not qualify. Uh, the future looks so bright. So tell us about uh, this U20 team a bit. Well, it's, it's fantastic to see how it's come together. I mean, it's just the, the growth has been staggering. I look, I compare 2018 when uh, they, they, they had the, the qualifiers. I think it was something like 15 or 16 players in MLS academies. <clears throat> Pardon me, geez. Uh, most of them kids who'd never played it professionally. They just kind of kids in academies. Of course you're going to struggle when you go out and you're playing Honduras. What is Honduras? Usually it's 20 people playing in their domestic leagues at 18, 17, 19. You know, you're playing Costa Rica, same deal. Even the U.S., at least they have a bigger pool. You know, kids playing in MLS, et cetera. Canada didn't have that before. You look at their team now, it's night and day. I mean, first you got the six CPL players, which is players playing every week in the CPL professionally against men. Massive. You look at the the the... I think it's eight MLS kids. Most of them, they're either players like Rita Zuhir, who's playing regularly in the Montreal first team setup, which is, you know, it's huge to see that. If not, they're guys who are playing in MLS Next Pro every week against 
players, you know, are 22, 23, 24, some, you know, men as well. That's, that's a huge difference. And you add in just the European academies, you look at some of these kids who are playing, uh, you know, in, in these European setups. I think it's a, it's a good mix of before it was just kind of you put together 20 kids, you sent them down to wherever the tournament was, and you prayed they gel together. Maybe that you get one of a flash in the pan. Whereas you look now, you've got, you know, nearly eight, nine, ten players, all with strong professional experience. You add in those flash in the pan wild cards who are playing in European academies who are showing good things. I think it's, it's such a good mix, and I think it's it's one of the deeper teams that Canada's had, and I think because of that, it, it's going to allow them to to be more prepared. And I think the fact that they had a preparation camp, something that they hardly ever did, and back mm-hmm. in April, and they went out against Costa Rica, won 3-0, and then lost 1-0 away with a team that had never played together before, that's a great sign. That's a, you know, Costa Rica is going to be one of the teams that's going to want to compete for that those four spots in the, the, the U-20 World Cup that are up for for grabs so i think it shows that this is just a start because i imagine in four years when we do this again if there's six cpl players now there could be 12 cpl players there could be more players playing in you know there's we think of jesse costa and wolfsburg there could be players be playing in all sorts of big european academies more more players playing in mls and i think that's good to have a more of that professional experience but b most importantly which i think has hurt canada a lot at the youth levels is that diversity of options where it's not just okay who are the best 20 rated mls kids that we have and put them together no it's mm-hmm. you can look at the cpl you can look at europe you can look at mls next pro and, and and have a team that's not just you know it doesn't feel like it's handpicked beforehand it's actually felt like canada had to make a decision on 20 players instead of just felt, felt like the team was picked three months ago one thing you mentioned there, Alex, is preparation. And I know in the past, I mean, I played in the 87 Under-20 World Cup and it was, and we actually were regulars at the Under-20s for the most part back in those days. Such an important tournament um, for experience-wise as well. It put me in such a great stead as far as future tournaments and understanding tournament football for the first time um, and the difference between that and club. But preparation has always been never great for Canada. I remember even Nick Dazovich, I think he was in charge of the U-20 team. And, you know, you're, you're you're up against the United States who have been together for three months, basically in a camp and you get your team for a few days. Some of the players you've never seen before because the coach can't afford to fly around and see these guys play. What yeah. chance have we actually got unless we actually prepare these players, you know, and if they're good enough technically and you it sound as though they got a great squad, prepare them properly to give them a fair crack at actually qualifying because the U20 event is a massive event that's important. Um, and, and I think Argentina is probably a greatest example of that, how seriously they take it, the South Americans, Brazil and Argentina. Well, it's a good point. And I think for me, we're talking about World Cup money, you know, we're talking about two of the most important things for me with that money beyond, you know, giving the play all the players their due compensation. I say, number one, put it in the domestic leagues, you know, men and hopefully women soon so we can continue to grow the pipeline. And number two has to be improving the youth setups. I think it would be great now if you want to really build things for the future. You know, have you 20 camps regularly, have you 16, you 15, you mm-hmm. 17, and not just do it where it's okay, it's a tournament. Let's throw together a camp and go down and see how we do. Maybe we'll do all right. Maybe we'll get lucky. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll have a golden generation. So I think that will be the next step for Canada in terms of consistently churning out youth talent is because I imagine, say, you know, you start at the U15s and there's kids who, you know, come up together, they play together in the CPL and MLS, et cetera. By the time they're 20, they're 21, they're playing on the first team. We don't have many of that. And I mean, it's kind of shows where Canada is at, where 
they've they've had all these dual nationals. I mean, there have been some like Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David who've been playing together since they're 14, but there haven't been many. But it's mm-hmm. going to be great to to see more of this youth development long term. And I think if you're yeah. Canada, that has to be a priority, and that's something that will will benefit them greatly down the the, the road. Just you know, regularly having these camps. So because just I think of the U20 World Cup, it's the fact that Canada hasn't been since 2007. It's it, that hurts so much because I imagine you look at say 2019 when the U.S. were there and how much having some of their players got them into the shop windows for Europe for other things like that. I think of you look at some of the youngsters on this team. Say they make it to the 2023 World Cup. I'll say I'll use an example that Jimmy is familiar with, Lowell Wright, someone who's I, I've seen a, you know a lot of great things from. Imagine he's still at the CPL next year. He goes and scores five goals at in, in Indonesia at a tournament. What's that going to do for the CPL, for, for leagues around the world to be like, hey, there's this you know 20-year-old playing in the CPL who just scored five goals against some really good teams. Mm-hmm. Let's have a look at that league. Let's buy yeah. this player. And it just kind of creates a, a chain effect that, that you know, it's, we've, we've kind of seen missing from Canada because they've missed out on so many key events like this. Yeah. Yeah. Great points, man. Alex, it was amazing to talk to you, buddy. I'm glad we finally got to do this. We'll definitely do this again. Thanks for joining us this morning, man. It was awesome. Appreciate it a ton, guys. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, bud. That was great. Alex Zongonguruzik from Vancouver. Yeah, a lot to be excited about. I wanted to bring that up, Jimmy. Lowell Wright on that team. Um, did Did they do a camp like at the start of the season and then they went back to their clubs? Yeah, I think they did have a small camp. Um, you know, and the good thing is, uh, you know, Morrow, he's, he's always in, in contact with all the coaches as well, finding out about the, the young players, getting, getting a better understanding of what they're like, um, their character, uh, what are they like off the field? What are they, what's their work ethic like, you know, are they, are they the last one under the pitch and first one off? Or are they the type of player that's out there always looking to improve and, um, so, you know, he, he does his homework and you've got to give him an, an awful lot of credit of, uh, of putting this, putting this team together, obviously with his staff. And, um, you know, when you look at it on paper, they're, they're, they're a good little team, a very good team. And I think what also happens is, well, now that we have this domestic league with CPL, um, and all these young guys coming through and playing, it gives the coaches an opportunity here to see the players play week in and week out. And it's always difficult trying to watch the players that are playing in academies over in Europe because a lot of the games aren't televised. You can't really see. You've got to go through a judgment with with the coaches and have a talk with them and see how things are going. But, mm-hmm. you know, with here, with the with uh, with MLS Pro and uh, with the academy games here and, and the CPL teams, it makes it a lot easier for the coaches to keep tabs and eyes on all these young players because you get to see them week in and week out. It's such a good point, man. And well, looking at this roster and seeing the makeup, you know, there's there's quite a few um, domestic based players. I think uh, CF Montreal kind of leads leads the table here. Um, but look at some of these teams that they're playing for. There's a center back at Bristol City, Jamie Knight Labelle. And there's a player at Lazio, Wolfsburg, Freiburg. There's a Tiago Quimbra, great name. Forward at Palmeiras. Like there's that's a lot to keep hold of uh, if you're the coaching staff to to watch these guys. And as you say, the opportunity to get together for more than a few days makes it very, very difficult when you're a country like this. But I agree with Alex going forward. You're going to see that CPL number rise. Yeah, you will. You talk about the kid at Bristol too. I mean, everybody that has any kind of Canadian background, they're all contacting the CSA too. So I was actually contacted by his agent uh, in England, um, same agency as Paul Pesca Salido works for. 
mm. uh, looking after this kid. His dad's a Canadian, uh, and he at this present moment uh, wants to play for Canada. But I think he qualifies as well for. I think Wales as well, but yeah, there's another one, you know, so you just yeah. keep an eye on these guys and see how they develop. But uh, so far that well, kid look, looks pretty right. good. You're did, right. He did get called up for Wales and I think he was about to go to the camp because mm. we, we ended up talking to a few people at Bristol and I think it was Brian Tinian, the, the academy director. He was the one that said Wales are having a sniff at him and luckily for Canada, they went in quick and, and they got him, which is well, awesome. Well, it is, but it doesn't hold him. It no. doesn't hold him. So. But at least he's going to get a taste of it. Yeah. Right. And, you know, the, we, we always say, you know, when our national team successful, everybody wants to be a part of success. And the way our team is looking right now, our national team going to a World Cup, how how much we've improved as, an, as on our football side. Any, anyways, you know, you, you are you're starting to get these young kids now. They're going, hey, mm-hmm. I, I, I wouldn't mind playing for Canada. Look at Alfonso Davies and all these other players and. You know, and we and we've got the World, World Cup at 26, which is and we got the World Cup. It's that nice little carrot to dangle in front of them. Yeah, because you're thinking if you get in now, next number of years, if I'm playing week in and week out, I've got a great chance playing in the World Cup. Yeah, at home, so it's brilliant. You know, they uh, Jonathan Azoria was a part of that broadcast for those that didn't see the uh, city announcement. And uh, when the host said, you know, what would we like to be playing for a, a World Cup at home? And you can kind of see the thought flash. was like, well, I'm 34. God, I hope I'm still still going at that point to to have that opportunity. And then Matthew Shinetti from TSN, he was at Real Sports for the celebration party and Jaden Nelson and Jacob Schaffelberg were there and he had them on. And, you know, you could see the realization. They were all there for the party and the celebration, but the, wow, yeah, like that's exactly the target. How, you know, unthinkable was that 10 years ago or when you guys were growing up that there would be games here. And these guys can actually see that as a, a tangible, you know, goal within reach. It's pretty incredible. It is incredible. And it's also incredible when you look at a guy like Oso, who's in that, you know, that age limit now. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to be 34 when the world's around. You know, that's a that's a lifetime in football. It's a mm-hmm. lifetime, several generations. But it's possible mm-hmm. that uh, at 34, he still could be a part of it. Absolutely. So, um, I mean, I guess obviously you got your eye on this particular World Cup and then you can worry about that later. But. Um, certainly, uh, some players right on the cusp age wise, uh, will be, will be oh, hoping yeah. to keep themselves holding on for dear life. Aren't <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get out there and running every day. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Well, when 42 year old Cristiano Ronaldo is filling out Foxborough. Outside oh yeah. Had to bring up him again. Of course. There's always <laughs> yeah. some way. Yeah. There's always some way guys. Uh, anything else on the host announcements? I saw Charmin tweeting about what he would do if he was in charge of FIFA, how he would have run the show. And let's be honest, he doesn't know who the fuck Becky G was. He'd never heard of her before yeah. she came up and announced. Amazing Latino artist, by the way. Do you guys don't know who Becky yeah. G is? Oh, yeah, of course. Big fan, eh? You love you yeah, love your yeah. reggaeton club pop. You know, the, 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 only, the, only, the only host city that I just don't understand is, is, is Boston with Foxborough. Really? Just, yeah, it doesn't make Boston, sense. Boston, though. Doesn't make sense. To it's me. nowhere I, near Boston. It's, it's nowhere near, man. But the it idea that the Boston, Boston, it's like you're not having games in Vegas. You're not having games in Chicago. You're not having games in Washington. How can you not have a game in one of those, one of those cities? So they chose Boston. But it's not. It's Foxborough. It's, Foxborough. <laughs> it's miles and miles and miles outside the city. And you got to so, leave. Hours in advance because the traffic is absolutely shite. It's a disaster yeah. to get there. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. But I mean, that's that's kind of the classic American 
stadium setup, right? It's it's like even in Dallas. What what's the distance between Dallas and AT and T Stadium? That can't mm-hmm. be close either. That's in the that's it seems like in the middle of nowhere. A place where they have land and a place where they could sell parking spaces for fifty dollars each and have ten thousand parking spaces. That was the the American model from the from the eighties that got them the World Cup in ninety four. In Detroit, the USA ninety four games were at the Pontiac Silverdome. They were growing grass outside. So when you kept saying live grass, dead grass, I'm like, oh yeah, I guess that they grew it outside and then rolled it in on wheels. Mm-hmm. Um, they grew it. Those those octagons that they grew it on. <laughs> Remember they put them all together. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it was wild. I think Italy played a game uh, there at the Silverdome. But I mean, shit, that drive to Pontiac is horrible. That that was a forty-five one-hour drive um, through Michigan. So that's that's just kind of the American setup, but. Any other points? Edmonton. If I was a or... World Cup fan, I'd be I'd be thinking Seattle, Vancouver. What a beautiful area! It's not yeah. too far away. You could catch a whole bunch of games in between those two places. Pretty mm-hmm. nice setup. No, yeah. it's smart, right? And it seemed quite clear that they were choosing these cities in pairings. So maybe you just don't like the idea that Toronto's pair is Boston, which doesn't seem that logical. But I mean, or New York, or Philly. It's all close. Yeah, but I think they would pair our flight, but but they would pair New York with Philly, I think. Yeah, it's much much closer. That leaves mm-hmm. Toronto and and Boston as kind of the the odd northern ones off. But I mean, Edmonton was totally isolated and totally alone, right? Regardless of what, um, regardless of what the Alberta government uh, included there to to make it more difficult for FIFA, you weren't going to pair what them. Will... Even with Denver, would have been too far. What will Toronto do? I mean, they're going to expand to 40, 45,000. Um, is it going to be temporary? Because I, I mean, I know Jimmy mentioned about, you know, just the size of that stadium. Are they going to sell it out? Do they want a stadium that big full time after the fact? Can TSC maintain it or do they just fill those end zones kind of like they did for that uh, MLS and Grey Cup final, didn't they? They put that one yeah. big end, you know, they can do that quite easily, uh, you know, they temporarily. They did for the classic too, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. So that's my guess is what they'll do. Yeah, that that seemed to be the rumor in the reporting was that it was going to be temporary standing, but they said not the scaffolding. So whether they, you know, I can think back to a few times that that one end, Jimmy, before they put the Argos in there, there was like a, a what felt like you know a permanent stand there that then they've then removed and yeah. they've since added back. I think there's ways to do it that doesn't feel like that scaffolding standing that they use for the MLS Cup final. I can't see yeah. FIFA approving that. But no, whether I'm they sure hold they'll put it for a, more than a season. Yeah, I'm sure they'll put a, a prefab structure in there that they can build, put together, and mm. and then take it elsewhere. Because you, you see that a lot of times where, where some stadiums, are they're that prefab, and they use them, and then all of a sudden they pack them all up again, and they ship them somewhere else, whoever else mm. needs it. Mm-hmm. That one in Qatar is pretty amazing. They built with all the con- – it's just containers. The whole stadium is made of shipping containers. Yeah. yeah Fascinating. It really is. Yeah. yeah. wonder how many people died putting those shipping containers together without any cranes or anything. God. <laughs> Jesus. That's a story for another day, I guess. We can, <laughs> we can get into that another time if you want, guys. Get into that another time. Uh, yeah. If there's nothing else about uh, 2026, then um, big news this side is the MLS have a brand new TV deal. I don't know if you guys hit this much on Wednesday's show, but a nope. 10 year, $2.5 billion deal with Apple TV that I just think, honestly, guys, is exceptional for the league. 
we've spoken before about their TV numbers not being great. But that access and exposure, I think that this will bring domestically and internationally, because all of these games will be available on Apple TV anywhere. This isn't landlocked to Canada and the States. You can subscribe in whatever country you're in. And then domestically, which is new in the first, there's no blackouts. So you can finally watch any MLS game that you want, wherever you are. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. Um, They bring a bit of money. I mean, the only thing is for the soccer fan in Canada, just alone, you're looking at, all right, MLS, you need Apple, you need One Soccer for CPL, you need TSN for the World Cup, you need DAZN for Champions League. Uh, What am I missing? There's something else. Fubo for Premier League. You know, there's five different things. What do you, you know, people can't afford. You know, we talk about ticket prices for, for soccer fans. It's a working class sport. You have five different platforms. You can't afford them all. So you got to pick and choose. Which one are you going to take? You know, that's. Yeah. I would argue, though, that that the only difference is that all of these are actually accessible now. Because if you look at 20 years ago, when you didn't have every Premier League game available, unless you paid the extra $20 a month for Satanta or Sportsnet mm-hmm. World, then you had every Premier League game available. But you didn't have access to Serie A unless you were watching an Italian on whatever. So now that these games are available, a high production quality in English, right? You have yes, some some people have to decide. I certainly will, and I've cut back on my cable bill for things that I wasn't watching. It wasn't worth paying the subscription for this one channel just because I wanted to watch El Clasico twice a season, right? Why am I paying the monthly for that? So you go without it. In general, you can find soccer. It's probably the most accessible sport for illegal streams, if you wanted to pick and choose. But as, in terms of growing the sport, you're right. It's it's tricky that it's splintered. As a soccer community, we've always been fighting against this, especially in television, right? To get people yeah. to, to pay the premium to support. And the TV execs like know that and see that too. Oh, if Manchester United is the hot team, the hot property. Well, we're putting that on the subscription channel. I understand biz, from a business decision why they do that. Mm-hmm. But also from growing up and not being able to access some of these other leagues, it's it's still amazing for the Canadian soccer fan, and there will be more because we can have access to these now. So much more. Mm-hmm. So that's true. Yep. Well said, Brendan. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> I do feel like though that I've I've sucked the laughs out of this show today. You know, I may speak well, but uh, this. Oh, Jimmy was up till about five in the morning last night, so that's probably oh, why that's he's a little happen. quiet today. Well, did you go to the spa until 2 a.m.? Did you go to the spa up there, Mark? Yeah, the fa- no, had I a just, facial. Uh, yeah. <laughs> He's so stupid. <laughs> Why? <Yeah>. Also, <laughs> you guys, I didn't go to the spa last uh, Wednesday this week. That was the Wednesday before. And everybody needs, you know, some relaxation, especially working with you, Louts. Yeah. Did you get your nails done and everything? Me or Who, Jimmy? Brendan? Brendan, one hundred percent. No, I got a. I got a. No, got a little massage. Uh, neck, so you did get a next bit stiff. Yeah. <laughs> I have to try one of those facials. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I can set that. I can set that up for you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, nothing, nothing to do with uh, with Craig's facial experience. Yeah, nothing to do with that. God, uh, all right, guys, couldn't hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Hopefully those of you that uh, are not in Vancouver or Toronto still have reasons to celebrate. Um, those uh, still a lot of soccer to watch, although I'm, I'm glad that this international break is over and I'm not being surprised every day by, oh, wait, this is a Nations League game that's somewhat appealing and totally unpredictable. <laughs> like if you're a regular gambler, I guess friendlies would always have been this way as well. But if you're a regular gambler, it's just a lottery. It's just chance. Mm-hmm. Who who would have you know who's looking at that going oh Hungary four nil plus thirty five hundred yeah I'm doing that today yeah Hungary is totally winning yeah. plus thirty five hundred let's go Never. no one's doing that no well no tough to predict those games yeah if I was uh if a I wouldn't be gambling on those type, those games they're just too unpredictable kind of like horse racing you know the the big gamblers in England they the the Gold Cup you know at Cheltenham. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll yep. go big on that because every horse wants to win. There's less chance of corruption in the race. So Harry used to give us tips. Harry Redknapp used to give us tips at the Gold Cup all the time. He DeCanio put a bunch of money on one of the horses. He got tipped, and I think it's still running today. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's the horse's so, name? Brendan he was so pit- yeah, he was so pissed off at the foot, Harry. Harry's like, it's a, it was a, it's a tip. It's a tip. He was out. He was. He was so mad that he lost money because he thought it was a guarantee that Harry's tip was going to win. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a different culture in England, right? The horses are so big. Oh yeah. And uh, and the dog races. You guys ever been to the dog races? I oh, you throw the dogs all the time. It was amazing. Bachelor mm-hmm. party at Wimbledon. Is that uh, is that the main one there? The Wimbledon dog track. Wimbledon. Well, they used to be. One, yeah. They used to be everywhere. Like everywhere, there would be a couple in each little town. It was it was really really big, really big. But talk about corruption! Holy God! Oh yeah, they feed them just before the race, and yeah, bet on number three, bet on number three. The thing was just had a full meal, couldn't even run. Yeah, <laughs> oops. Oh yeah. man, good times. All right, guys. Well, uh, have a good weekend, and we'll uh, figure out some shit to talk about on Sunday show. For those of you primers, thanks for listening. Keep uh, following us on Twitter, footy underscore prime. And as Sharman always says, cheers for listening and keep buying newspapers. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.